And then I'm looking at the computer and as I'm looking at it, it stops recording. And I immediately hit record again. So we miss like half a second. Oh. We miss half a second. I mean, it came in the bad seat song. <laughs> <laughs> My guest today is audio engineer, mixer, and producer extraordinaire, Anna Laverty. Anna has engineered, recorded, mixed, and or produced the likes of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Paul Dempsey, Dallas Frasca, Meg Mack, Caitlin Keegan, Peep Temple, Tina Arena, Lady Gaga, Go Get Mum, and many, many others. With a very impressive portfolio that speaks for itself, Anna has established a reputation within the production community for bringing out the absolute potential of recordings. She's a staunch supporter of local indie talent also. Anna appeared in the ABC show The Recording Studio as the house engineer and she also appeared in the hit doco Her Sound, Her Story. As well as the production and the technical stuff, Anna is also a songwriter, mentor, APRA AMCOS ambassador and Anna generously shares her passion for music and audio production by providing insight and expertise to aspiring engineers. So, ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for Anna Levity. Oh, oh. I might kick it off. Okay, I think we're rolling. Anna Levity, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, so, what I've usually been asking these last few weeks for people is, is how things have been, well, what you've been up, what you were up to before sort of COVID hit um, and what got taken out, um, what's still there. Yeah. Um, I, okay, so just before it happened, because I, I mean, I know we saw it on the news and we knew that it was a thing and it was probably going to affect us in some way, but I, you know, I didn't see it coming yeah. the way it has come. <laughs> and I just remember being on a session on the 15th of March. He was freaking out because his wife was in New Zealand on mm. tour and he was in Australia on tour and they were supposed to be meeting up but they were closing the borders to New Zealand yep. that night at midnight. And so he was freaking out. And then I was like, this shit, this is a thing. <laughs> like we need, we kind of need to worry about this a little bit. And then I remember end of the day, save, back up on the drive home because I, I don't live in Melbourne. I live an hour out of Melbourne. So on the okay. drive home, I'm like, I don't think I'm going back into Melbourne for a while. <laughs> yeah, and wow. I and I haven't I haven't been back since, you know. And so basically um, I finished that project. Luckily that was our last day. So I finished that, just finished two albums so I had a few other things lined up that just basically like on hold until we can get back in a studio. Right. And I've I got I got I got an album to mix from home, which was like a low budget thing, which I'm able to just do at home. But I don't know. I I'm, it's just so 
it's all very unknown and we don't really know what's going to happen next or even like, you know, going into the studio with an artist and them feeling comfortable because yeah. they have they have to be comfortable. That's, you know, right. it's the whole thing about being in a studio and making a record. They have to be comfortable. So we'll see how we go. Have you found people have been coming to you um, because they're feeling creative now and they find that they've got that time time now that they probably <laughs> didn't have to make their record or people not kind of thinking um, about not really, not yet. I think that is going to come, but yeah. I think at the moment, like the first month, everyone was like, oh, this is so great. Let's eat loads of takeaway and watch loads of Netflix. And then I think maybe this, I think maybe the second month people are like, I'm bored, I'm going to yeah. write some songs. And yeah. then I'm thinking in the next few months I'm going to get a lot of those emails like, you know, hey, I've just been working on this thing and I was wondering yeah. if you want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Fingers so, crossed. So yeah. you do you have you have a setup at home to be able to um, mix from home? Uh, sort of, yeah. I mean, it's a very portable rig. It's kind of my rig that I take to hotel rooms and like, you know, to people's bedrooms when I'm you know, whatever. But um, I'm, I am able to mix. I've got my, I've got my cans. I've got my DT seven seventies, and I've got a couple of pairs of a uh, couple of pairs of cool speakers. So I can. It's just the room's not very. It's my spare room. You know, it just doesn't yeah. sound very good. Yeah, yeah. Not, not, not to mention like the baby knocking on the door. Yeah, that's like, what I. Hey, you're <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I yeah. might, I might ask you a bit later about some tech stuff too, because um, yeah, I'm yeah. kind of, I kind of dig that sort of stuff. So, yeah. okay, well, what we might do now is I want to roll it back to how it all began and we'll sort of lead up through parts of your career and and then mm-hmm. see where we go from there. So so you were born in the UK? I was born in the UK, yes. I lived there till I was eight with my family and then we emigrated to Perth in Western Australia. Right. So was there music in the mm-hmm. family, instrument players and no instrument players and no like technical people. My dad's an electrician mm-hmm. and he absolutely loves music. Yep. And I think that those two things influenced me greatly. Yeah. Okay. So were you getting to tinker around a little bit with electrical appliances and, and home, yeah. hi-fi, home hi-fi stuff early on? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, um, home hi-fi, mostly also um, I have this really strong memory of being in like high school, early high school and um, making a, I had two VCR players that were like hooked up and I was making this thing and I remember like taking one of the RCA cables out and, you know, having what, you know, just being really creative with that and that was um pretty exciting for me. <laughs> Lol. Um, I'm a 90s kid. Um, and then, you know, and it just kind of went from there to like making my own radio shows on my little hi-fi. And yeah, I, cool. if I if I jammed down the record and play button on this, I could have like three tra- ch- channels like bouncing down to one and, so, you know, just stuff like that. Um, and that's where my just love from for that kind of stuff came from. And it's still the same the same feeling that I get now when I work on that stuff. That's the feeling that I got then. Yeah, that's cool. Were you messing messing around trying to get different sounds out of things at that stage and, and trying to work out how you got those sounds? Yeah, for sure. That's that's exactly what I was doing. I remember because I, I don't, I'm not an instrument player really, so I remember being in my bedroom and I had a classical guitar that I was like learning how to play, but I didn't really, 
I just wasn't very good at it. I've since realised it's probably because no one ever told me to turn it upside down because I'm left-handed. <laughs> okay. Oh, but anyway, so I would make noises with the guitar, not necessarily playing it and then like looping it and um, on a this is on a cassette deck, you know, yeah. and like yeah. looping it and then putting in like almost samples from the radio, like the top 40, you know, and like just just being creative with that kind of stuff I find really fun. That's really cool. What kind of music were you into early days? Early days, like early high school, terrible pop music, but like I was all in. I was like Spice Girls, Hanson, loved it, absolutely loved it. And then because I grew up in the suburbs in the north of Perth, you know, and then um, and then when I became like 14, 15, my big brother got the Unplugged in New York, the Nirvana album. Yeah. And that kind of changed things for me a little bit. That, um, that, changed, sort of real... things for, that changed things for a lot of people, that album, eh? That yeah. Was, yep. Yeah, I think so. And so that and then like, you know, just got into, he was also, my brother was also very into Metallica, but then then I also had another brother next door in the other room listening to like hip hop and stuff like that. So I I was between these two bedrooms just taking it all in. (laughs) And then my dad's, you know, my dad's down the hallway listening to like early Eagles and like the Beatles and stuff like that. So really cool influences from all around. Yep. So for people that don't know, Anna's a producer and a audio engineer. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, when, when did you realize or get the inkling that you wanted to be a audio engineer? Um, then when I was like 14. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, so I, was it, was there, but, was there a moment? Did you hear something? Did you see somebody? Were you inspired s- by somebody of, at the time? Yep. Sort of. So I, I, like I say, I love music and I love the technical stuff. So I, I did drama in school and I always remember, um, you know, it, it coming up to like a production and everyone had to, um, what do they call it? Like um, audition for a part. Yep. And I was like, oh, God, I don't want to do that. And my <laughs> teacher knew that I didn't want to do that. And she was like, well, do you want to do Do you want to do the lighting and the sound? And I was like, yes, I do. And she goes, cool, you can be the sound engineer. And I was like, is that what it's called, you know? <laughs> and that, and that, so I, I wanted, I knew that I wanted to be a sound engineer before I knew what it was called. Put it that yeah. way. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Was that the first time you'd ever sat at a soundboard? Was it kind of was, was um, it kind of learning it on the fly, or, or did you have somebody there? It was very much um, the first time I was on a board, but it would have been. Mm. I mean, it wasn't a huge theatre, so it would have just been. Mo- I reckon probably most light, mostly lighting, and then probably sound effects cues. So like okay. you know, just um, kind of triggering you know, the sound of breaking glass or something. But um, it was so exciting. And from that, I went and volunteered at a um, community theatre and did sound. And I learned from a guy there um, about sound. And that was so exciting to me. Yeah, yeah that's that's cool. Um, mm-hmm. Did you start jumping into um, doing sound for bands that were in town um, and gigs and that kind of stuff or did it sort of start? Nah, with- look, not really. I was so young. I mean, this is okay. I'm still I'm still 15, 16 oh, at right, this, okay. t- this yep. time. Yep. And then um so you know, I get my parents to go and drop me off at a community theatre to do to okay. do that kind of stuff. But then when I was 17, I went to WAPA, which is the West Australian Academy of Performing Arts, right. and I did sound. And that was when I 
that was when I joined the West Australian music industry scene and it was so right. cool. There were so many great bands around at that time and, um, you know, The Panics, um, Sleepy Jackson, Car- Early Carnival, um, such a great scene and I and I definitely volunteered to carry a lot of gear and I had a lot of support from all the promoters, like all, all the, the guys that were booking the venues were just really into this young person hanging around, like trying to learn all the stuff and yeah, I had cool. some really great mentors. And, you know, I did that course, that sound course for three years mm-hmm. and I graduated when I was 19 and, um, yeah, two weeks later I moved to London. <laughs> right. So just back to the course then, the audio course. Mm. Um Yeah. What did you find the most difficult part of that? Of the course? Of the course. Hmm. I'm not very academic. So, like, all the classes about sound, all the classes about lighting, all the classes about, um, you know, history of art, history of theatre, I just absolutely aced and loved so much. But yep, yep. And even, um, you know, we did electronics classes and stuff like that and I love those, but I'm yep. just... You know that whole. I was a. It was a university, and it was like okay, <laughs> I'm okay. just. I'm not. I'm not very um, academic, so I guess I struggled a little bit with that. But um, you know, whatever. I passed. <laughs> I I graduated. That's it. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right. So you moved to London. So how did that come about? Yeah. So. I was managing a Perth band at the time, um, just because I was um, I was the the I knew the people, I knew all the people, I knew all the bookers, I knew all the other managers and stuff like that. And um, the band were really cool, and we were doing really well, and we were we were just gagging to get out of Perth, basically all of us. Um, and so we just made a pact that we were going to go, and we jumped on a plane two weeks after uni. I had five hundred dollars. I always remember that. I thought it was loads of money. And I got there and we moved into a high-rise hostel in Stockwell, which was like bunk beds with a shared bathroom down the hall. And we stayed there for two weeks and we were like, cool, we got two weeks to get jobs. <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to run out of money. Yeah. <laughs> and, right. um, yeah, I got a job in a record store. That's cool. That, that, was, yeah. that, was, that was your husband's band, right? Um, well, he wasn't my husband at the time. We were kids. We were kids. But, yeah, he was the singer and then there was his sister was the guitarist and my best friend was the bass player and then another good buddy was um, in the band as well. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, that would have mm. that would have been cool to go over there with at least knowing everyone that well, you know. Cause... We were such a cool gang. It was great. Yeah. All right. So. When did you start getting? Because I I read that you also you started getting into a bit of um, um, like band promotion and putting on shows over there and yeah that kind of stuff. So how did that sort of come about originally? Yeah, I'm the kind of person who um I just sort of do stuff. Uh, you know, I've realised that with age that not everyone is like that. Yep. So, you know, I'm 19. I'm in London with a bunch of my buddies and I just want to go and see bands all the time. So I'm like, cool, well, I'm just going to put on shows. I'm just going to put on our own shows so our friends' bands can come and play. Because Paul worked at a um, a record store as well (laughs) and we knew knew all the people in all the cool indie bands in London. So we just were like, cool, 
you know, do you want to come play this show? Do you want to come play this show? We, we, I remember we charged £2 on the door. It was in this basement club called Push, which is gone now. They knocked it down to build the underground. But, um, yeah, so we were doing this and I, um, uh, that was a club night called Hooked Up and I was also running this other night with a guy called Will um, five nights a week. And I remember, like, looking back on it now, we, book, we booked, like, Jonah's Policewoman, we booked... Um, Greg Dolly, we booked um, all these incredible artists, Paolo Nettini, um, before they were who they are now. Like Paolo yeah. Nettini was 16 when he came and played our show and um, we did that five nights a week, every single week, and you could smoke down there in this basement and it was. I just always remember it was like a cloud just going <laughs> into this cloud land. Um, I kind of miss those uh, days, to be honest. I don't, but I yeah, do, you know. Yeah, same. I mean, how bad for us was it? I know. But it was fun. <laughs> um, and then from that, you know, I was seeing so many amazing bands and I was like, I've got to, I've got to start a record label. <laughs> There's so yeah, many wow. great bands. So right. I started this record label called Hooked Up Records and um, putting out all these um, seven inches. And then, you know, I was like, fuck, well, how are we going to, record all these bands to put out their records. I was like, well, I'll just go down to the rehearsal room and record them. <laughs> so oh, wow, cool. I was doing that. So I was like recording them and then pressing them and then selling them and promoting them and managing them and all this kind of stuff. And it was it was pretty crazy, but um, it was like so fun. Yeah. No regrets at all. It was yeah, so great. Awesome. I was always skint, always, but I didn't care. Yeah, you're smiling. Good stuff. Yeah, it was yeah. great. Yeah. So how do you how so what how do you start a record label? How do you just start a record label? Um well I didn't know when I started. I just yeah. Yeah. just yeah. like paid someone to press a bunch of seven inches and paid someone to do the artwork and then like took it to shows and then eventually I got this really great distribution deal and um started taking some of the bands on tour to like Europe. <laughs> It's just since I mean I'm 20 I'm 20 at this time and I remember we were hanging out with Robin Proper Shepherd from a band called Sophia who used to be called the God Machine and we got to know him really well and um, the God Machine I, yeah the God <laughs> yeah and then I remember one day I said oh hey man are you going to come to my birthday and he goes yeah sure what well, you know how old are you and I was like I'm 21 he goes oh my God never tell anybody your age. Because <laughs> oh. he just didn't think I was going to be taken seriously. Oh, right. Okay. And um, he's probably right, but, you know, it was good fun. I was doing, I was just having the time of my life with all my best mates, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So when did, when did the move into the studio start? Yeah. So it was like I'd been there for a bit and I sort of was like, I really miss being in the recording studio. Like it's it's super fun doing DIY recording and all that kind of thing. But I want to be where the Neves are at, you know. So, um, sorry. So, uh, <laughs> oh, okay. So let's roll back a little bit then. To mm. you, you're saying you wanted to get back into the recording studio. Is yeah. that from the experience that you had back at the course, or did at you uni. Went, did you at yeah, uni? Okay, and because so you, I, yeah, you hadn't been in the I'd studios been... at that stage. No, well, no, except for the fact that I'd done work experience. So okay, every gotcha. single uni holidays, every single um, high school holidays, um, I had done work experience. Yep. And, you know, the the in Perth, the options were not huge, but there was a couple of recording studios. But then I was also in, like, radio stations and I was in, like, you know, I just went anywhere where there was a sound desk. Okay. Um, 
And so, yeah, so I really wanted to go and work with some Neves and some Neumanns and some beautiful gear. So I sent out some, I'm pretty sure we were doing email then, sent out some emails to um, some studios and, you know, no one ever wrote back (laughs) except for when one studio did write back and said, we have a two-week um, work experience program. Everyone does the same thing. They come in, they learn from the previous person. They teach them what to do. You're there for two weeks. You do that every day for two weeks and then you teach the next person. And it's like a position that we have in our organisation. So this was at Maloco Studios. Um, they had like 12 studios all over London that they managed and they would like send assistants out to studios and my job was washing tea towels, changing tea bags and sugar and running hard drives around all the studios on the bus <laughs> basically. Right. right. Um, so I did so that, that. that classic studio runner stuff. Totally. It was yeah. classic runner and I'm so yeah. glad I got to do it because it was like, you know, I got to go around all the studios. So I'd like walk yeah. into a session and, like, you know, they'd be doing this record and then I'd go to the next session and the Rolling Stones would be doing a session. Then I'd go to the next, you know, it was like was that insane. Yeah. Um, and then on my second last day of work experience, um, I remember cleaning a light switch and Nick Young, who runs a studio, came in and said, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm just cleaning this light switch. And he's like, come with me, I'll find something better for you to do. And I went in the studio and he introduced me to Ben Hillier and that was the first time I'd actually been in one of the studios and, like, you know, while they were sort of working. Mm -hmm. And Ben was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to America in two days to do the Depeche Mode record. Can you help me rack up my entire studio and do an inventory so that when I come back I know that if I've forgotten anything. So we hung out for for two days, me, Ben and... um, Ferg, his engineer, packed up the studio and at the end of that he said, well, I'm going to be gone for six weeks. I'd really love to have you in here. Um, I can pay you six pounds an hour. I want you here every day being the assistant to the other people who come in just so he's like, I can see that you know how to hold microphones and I just don't want any of my stuff to get broken. (laughs) And so that was my first job in a studio And and I didn't leave that studio. I loved it. It was the pool and he shared it with Paul Epworth and that's so I started assisting those guys. That's interesting. I I liked how you held the microphone. I get that, eh? (laughs) You're talking about tens of thousands of dollars with the microphone. Yeah. And someone's for sure. it around and dropping it in the box and that kind of thing, far out. Oh, totally, man. Because he, he yeah. was just like, you know, I, I'm shitting my pants. I've never held anything that expensive before. So I'm <laughs> yeah. really careful with it, you know. Um, yeah. And also I just honour these beautiful microphones that he had. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, that's nice, you know. Um, and I always remember like, because this is what I say to young people who want to be like engineers or whatever, I always say mm. to them, Nick Young, who runs the studio, has said to me since, because we're still, we still chat, we're still friends, and he said to me, I never would have asked you to come in the studio and help Ben if you hadn't been cleaning the light switch. He's like, if you were sitting there on your laptop, like gotcha. doing something, gotcha. I, would, I wouldn't have asked you. And I'm like, well, I couldn't afford a laptop. I didn't even have one, <laughs> you know, yep. so yep. everything happens for a reason. That's it. It's that classic, you got to start, literally start from the bottom. And know how to do those roles all the way up, you know. Like, you know, in my in my trade, I'm I'm an electrical fitter by trade. We get a lot yeah. of apprentices come through, and you can, you know, a lot, some of them 
don't understand why they're cleaning those parts or, or yeah. sweeping the floor. They just they want to get straight on the bench and pull stuff down. They don't get it, you know? Yeah. No, there's yeah. a process. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. So you've packed you've packed up the studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what happens? Half after the gear's that? gone. Yep. So half the gear's gone. And then um I spent a couple of weeks like assisting other producers who were coming in who'd never worked in the studio before. So I was showing them like the the routing and everything. Yep. And just helping out on sessions and that was cool. And then Paul came, Paul Epworth came in and we we started doing an album for a guy called Jack Pignate. And I, that was probably one of my first like full albums that I assisted. Um, so I got to see the whole process from the start to the finish. So that was really cool. And then Ben came back and I did, um, you know, I did like, we well, for starters, we mixed the Depeche Mode record that he'd been doing and then yep. did a bunch of other records with him. And then I got, and then I did a Florence and the Machine album with Paul Epworth. Um and just I just did I just worked there and f- like doing you know sixteen hour days seven days a week for a few years <laughs> right basically um, and so I was in London overall for like five and a half six years mm-hmm. and then Paul was like I really need some sun <laughs> let's yeah, let, right. you know I mean he's Scottish but he but he's also an immigrant to Australia and he was like. Let's go back to Australia for a while, see what we're doing. Because, I mean, when you're that young, being away from your family, they suddenly start going like, are you ever coming back? <laughs> like, yeah, <right. laughs> we thought you we thought you were going to London for like six months. Like, you've been there for six years. When are you coming back? Yeah. It was like, oh, yeah, right. And I didn't want to come back. I had my dream job, um, you know. But I said to Paul, if I'm working at Sing Sing, in Melbourne, because it's the only studio I'd heard of, I was like, if I'm working at Sing Sing in a year, I'll be happy. But if I'm not, I'm coming back here. And my the studio said they'd hold my job. And so I came back to, well, I moved to Melbourne. I'd never even really been to Melbourne. I'd been there once mm-hmm. and um, on holiday. And I got here and I, was, I wasn't employed, but I was working as an assistant at Sing Sing three weeks later. Right. So, how did you get there? Yeah. Persi- persistence. You just knock on their door and. This is a weird story. And, like, I, you know, I would, if you don't believe me, that's fine. But I came back and I obviously emailed them and said, I'm coming. And they were like, look, we don't employ anyone, but come by and we'll meet you and we'll just have a chat. Mm-hmm. So, I went in, I met Kai and Jude. They're just the best people in the world. Um, and they were like, it's great to meet you. You're welcome to come and use the studio whenever you want, but we like, you know, to hire it, but we, we just don't employ anyone. So I was like, great, all good, no worries, see you later. And then I think like a week, a week or two later, I get this um, phone call or email from Jude saying, you will never believe this, but our like one of our all-time favourite um assistance has moved to London and just got your job and we think it would be fair like to give you his job <laughs> oh wow yeah right so, oh, so when you so when you went and talked to them you would have told them that you had that job at that studio in, yeah yeah in London. so right. then so then they'd obviously heard from Russell who was the guy who went Russell Faulkner is the guy who went there and he was like yeah I got this job working at um this studio and they're all going on about this girl called Anna who like has apparently moved 
back to Melbourne. So you should keep an eye out for her, you know. Um, they're saying they're saying that she's really great. And then unbeknownst to me, another guy that I'd been working with in London had used to work at Sing Sing and he emailed them and said, there's this person coming back to Australia, you should employ her because she's really great. And so all these guys that I had worked with went out of their way to hook me up. And that's pretty cool. That's very cool. Yeah. So how long, how long were you there at Sing Sing? So then I was, I mean, I had to go back to the start after I'd been sort of engineering and doing all these really cool things in London, but I didn't know anyone and that's what it's all about. So I went back to assisting and I assisted at Sing Sing for like over five years. (laughs) Yeah. So when you say you didn't know, you know, when you say, you say you didn't know anyone. Mm. So you say, you're saying that um, to be in that engineer's jobs, you, you're having to get to know um, artists and bands and stuff. Yep. And kind of work the room type sort of thing so they know to come to you. So you don't you don't have a seat at a studio and a person comes in and says they want to record the record here. No. I mean walk okay. in walk in traffic to a studio is is, you know, just doesn't really happen. I mean, I suppose it does kind of and you do get a few of those engineering gigs, but the production okay. gigs, the good gigs, the ones that you want and the ones that you have creative input on, all that comes from word of mouth. Yeah. Right. And Those always and always has. Like every job I get comes from someone who I did this thing with like 10 years ago and it's their cousin's band or whatever. Like it, that's where it always comes from. Yeah, right. That's cool. So mm. Yeah. Um, so did you have to start going back out um, – listening to bands, watching bands and starting to talk to people and Yep. Um, I had to get it I had to get into the scene here. And okay. um so you know I, I basically just started going I mean I was still young. I was still only like 25. So I was going to um you know the Tote all the time, the Evelyn, just all those indie band um venues. Going I was in Brunswick so I was going like a lot to the retreat when it was kind of very different and and stuff like that. Um, and it was awesome. I, I, you know, I loved it and I got to know all these great bands. And, of course, there's a huge WA contingency in Melbourne. So I kind of plugged okay. into that scene because I knew a lot of those people from um, when I was in Perth. Yep. Yeah, so that was good. And once the ball started rolling, I guess I just, you know, and I met so many people from assisting other um, producers and engineers at Sing Sing met right. so many people in the scene from that, so that was right. cool. Yeah, that that's really cool. Okay, so who was the first um, artist or band that said we want we want Anna to to engineer? Um, well, I reckon. So I mean, I did a, like I did loads and loads and loads and loads of assisting with Stephen Tram and um, and um, Adam Rhodes and. Every like everyone, all the you know, all the guys that are doing it basically came through Sing Sing, and and I assisted them. And then I remember there was one session where everything kind of came together. Like Stephen Tram, who I assisted a lot at that time, and he said to me, "I'm not going to book you anymore. You have to go out and find your own work. You are too good yeah, right. to be to be assisting. You need to go and find your own work." And I was like, okay, I was just really, I don't know what it was. I just had this block, this block in my head where I couldn't make that leap. And then he was like, well, I'm not going to book you anymore. And he literally 
stop booking me. <laughs> and, and also um, and also at the same time, like I worked a session where the producer and like the producer engineer guy just sat on the couch at the back of the room for the entire session and I, and I ran the whole session. And at that point I was like, okay, <laughs> I, like can Rick, Rick, I can sure, definitely do it, this. <laughs> right. So was it Rick Rubin? Because that's what he no. does, doesn't he? <laughs> no, I no, I wish. No, definitely wasn't Rick Rubin. Yeah, no, no. Because um, he's got that he's got that reputation, yeah, um, of just going in the room and sitting there and maybe not saying anything to anybody and laying on yeah. the couch and yeah, you know, I know, and then, I do. And then, I have and then, heard call, that. then calling up or sending an email saying, yeah, that such and such, you should change that. And, yeah, they, they do yeah. that, and it's, yeah. it's a bloody hit record. <laughs> there's not, there's not many people that can get away with that, especially not in Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so there was the, those things, and then the thing that really happened was so, so I, so Stephen did book me for this one particular gig, um, and it was a Little Red album, and he at the same time, um, his partner gave birth to twins. And he he had to be home by eight o'clock every day. Like, I mean, yep. she had she had twins, so she was home alone. Yep. Uh, she's you know New Zealand, no family in Australia, kind of thing. And um, so he was like, "I am leaving this studio at seven o'clock every night. If you want to take over an engineer when I'm gone, you can, and I'll pay you an extra hundred dollars a day." And I was like, "Dude, that's doubling my wage." <laughs> <laughs> you know, so um, so he so he would go home at seven, and from seven till two, three in the morning, I would engineer, and then we would come back at ten, and he would engineer till seven, and I would assist, and then I would take over from seven, and yeah, so that and that was yeah that little red record, where, um, which actually ended up being um, released under the band name New Gods. Yeah, yeah, awesome. That's cool. Yeah. So in. <clears throat> Just a little bit of tech stuff. Um, mm. Were you were you just recording digital or was there tape? Were you recording? Oh tape yeah, no. Ta- there's this tape. There's um, yeah, it depends okay. what the pro depends what the project is, but um, I like tape. I use tape a lot. Yeah. Okay. Right. So you're starting to build a bit now. Um, mm-hmm. Did he give you some con- when he sort of pushed you out and told you to go out on on mm. your own? Did he yeah. sort of give you some some contacts or did he say, no, just... Nah. <laughs> nah. He, honestly, by that stage, kind of didn't need to. I already... Uh, okay. okay. I already yeah. knew everyone, but I just... It was just that block I had in my brain that I had to take that leap of faith and I did and it worked. Yeah. That's cool. Mm. That, that's really cool. So what year was that? Um, That would have been two. 2000 and oh my god I don't know <laughs> 2012 or 13 maybe yeah yeah so um how long was how long was your time at Sing Sing well I mean like like I say I was never employed by them but I assisted there for like Five years, so um, probably till two thousand and fourteen or fifteen, and then I mean, I still like I did a record there in March, so I still go back there and work, but that's me booking the studio out, you know, and getting my own assistant, which is so exciting. 
Right, that's cool. So, yeah. th- so just moving forward a little bit now, and we will mm. come back. So that's mm. how you do it, right? So you you um you have a project, and then you have to book. A, you have to find a studio, and you have to book a studio. Or it does these days? Yeah, it depends what it is. Like you, it all comes down to budget, really. Sure. I mean, um, and also it depends what project it is. So if I've got a full band that want to play live, um. Like I just did a, a record for a band called Shepherd and Airplane and I also, so that's two of the guys from the Peep Temple and they're a three-piece and I just get them in the room playing really well and really mm. vibey and set the whole scene and hit record, you know? Yeah. Um, and I want to do that in a studio like Sing Sing because they've got a really good um, maintained um, tape machine and they've got really good mics and really good desks. All right, cool. So can I talk to you a little bit about some um, gear and your thoughts on like mm-hmm. some processes and software and that kind of thing? Because I'm kind of yes. a little bit – just being a home recorder. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have a preference of like analog over digital? Um, again, it depends what it, what it is. Like, um, sometimes like I love the sound of tape, but it's super inconvenient. So, you know, every, everything takes twice as long or more than twice as long. So, um, if you're on, if you, you know, if you've got the money and you've got the time, tape's great. Yep. But if, if you don't, and it's going to slow you down, or if you've got a certain artist who's like, temperamental or not into waiting, then those things really matter and you just have to kind of decide what's going to be better for that project. Um, But generally, um, analog's my vibe. Yeah, awesome. So what are your thoughts on um, some of the tape plugins? Tape plugins? I love them. Yeah, the emulations. Yeah. How how sort of close do you think they get? Um. I don't know. I mean, I've never AB'd them, but I okay. always, whenever I mix anything in the box, there's always um, like a tape um, over the master bus, the mix bus. Yep, yep. Yeah. So what? Yep. So just on the mix bus then, so what is on your, what's on your your main template mix bus? Um, a few things. So I've got like, um, God, I'm really not good with names. I've got... Um, one of the slate digital um, things, like the mix rack, yep. um, and I kind of just tweak it depending on the project. But then there's also the tape. Um, far out, can't remember who makes. Oh, you that. don't have to. Yeah, oh. you don't have to worry about the names. It's all good. Yeah, then there'll be a tape thing, and then the final thing that I always have on my chain is the Oxford inflator. I just right. think it opens up. It opens up the whole mix. I love it. Actually, just before that, I've usually got that um, air plug-in, you know, the one where you can just turn up the air a little bit yep. and it like. That's a slate thing too, isn't it? The the slate air oh, with the dial. It could be. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yep. it's silver. It's yeah, the silver. silver thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, I sometimes just dial in that because I, f- I find once you've done all the all the crazy stuff that you've done with all the individual groups or the tracks or whatever, sometimes at the end you're just kind of missing a little bit of that like. Top end, you know, it all gets a bit dull. Yeah. 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 That's cool. And I remember when they came out with that plugin, I was like, 
wow, I don't have to go back and individually turn up that frequency on every single group. How cool. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's cool. Yeah. It's yeah. almost like mastering. Yeah. 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 Oh, so have you, have you um, got into mastering or do you kind of see that as its own, it's its own yeah, sort of that's art? that's its own thing. It's, a, it's, a, it's I, like its own science, eh, really? Yeah, it's own science, but also like I think, I mean, mastering engineers do do great stuff to sonics and stuff as well, but yep. I find a lot of the mastering stuff is like embedding all the codes and getting the fades right and yeah. um, putting all the, you know, the ISRC codes and all the names and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just, I'm not really that into that kind of stuff. Yeah, gotcha. Um, I kind of like printing the song and going, that's it, someone else make them sound good together, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Do you have a favourite microphone? Um, For what? Uh, okay. <laughs> That's a good question. Snare drum? Yes, SM7B. Okay. Kick drum? Um, yes, a 47 FET. Vocals? Who's singing? <laughs> um I just I just think it makes it, it you know it makes such a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um and usually it's really funny, you know, I'm one of those kind of weirdos where when a singer's talking to me before we've done the vocals, I'll be just <laughs> Stare looking at-, at them funny. <laughs> I'll just be looking at them funny and they're like, <laughs> "Why are you looking at me funny?" I'm like, "I'm sorry, I'm just listening I'm to working. your voice." I'm just wor- <laughs> I'm working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they're like, "That's super creepy." Um yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, but um, so it just depends on on who it is. But if if I had a male singer coming into the studio, I would set up like you know some kind of vintage Neumann mm-hmm. microphone, sixty seven or a forty seven or right. you know forty nine or something like that. Um, if I had a woman, depending on what the project was, again, like if it's jazz, it, I would choose something different. If it's pop, I would choose something different. Yeah, so okay. it really depends. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, I, and I, you know, I always laugh when you see like some, uh, when I have interns or whatever and they come in and they like take photos of the settings on the compressor and it's like right. it's not going to work for you. Like it, that's not going to work for you. You're just going to have to listen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah, just on the taking the photos of settings and stuff. Um, mm. The boards that you you work on um, are they um, like old sort of Neve type boards where you have to say if you say for example you come into the studio on a Monday and you've done a session, but then you've got to come back the following Monday and a couple of other people have come in and used the board. Do you have to mm. recall the settings, or are you using boards where you can sort of um, hit a button and it well, recalls. It depends. Like depends, if, yeah. if I if I was recording um, an album and I needed it to sound the same, there's no way that I would split it up. Okay, gotcha. All right. Yeah. If if for example we did an album and then a, an artist came back and said, "I've written a new song. It's the hit." We need to go back in and re-emulate. Right. Um, no, I mean I don't do recalls on on boards um, uh, for recording, really, because mm. it's the like the, the Neves and stuff that I use don't have total recall or anything like that. Um, I often do recalls for mixes. 
Okay. When I like, I'll do a mix, and because you know, it's really difficult if I'm mixing on a board and you send it to an artist. Artists aren't used to these days having to like say yes, that's the perfect mix, and I'm definitely not going to want to change it right. three days later because right. what you what you do is you print the song. It's printed. That's the song. You can't change it. And then you go on and you do the next song. So the whole board changes. So they can't come back two days later and say they want to change it. Right. Gotcha. Right. Yep. So, but but if you're mixing something in the box, you just open the session and yeah, everything's yeah, I, yeah. the same. Yep. So that's an artist aren't used to the old way of doing things where you can't change it. Um, and even if you do do a recall, it never sounds the same. <laughs> yeah, right. Totally. You know, so. Um, yeah, does that answer your question? It, I can't it, even remember what it, the question it was. It does. Yeah, just about the recall thing. Because yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've heard stories um, like in, in the US and LA, you know, there'd be sessions during the day and there'll be sessions at night time and there'll be two mm. separate bands, two separate producers on these big boards and they'd have the board set for the day and then oh. the intern would have to come around and, and basically draw a picture of the, of the, of the board and you yeah. know, every channel, everything, and then the next, mo- you know, the, the next band will come in, do their thing, and then and in the morning. <laughs> yeah, you sort of can board, do that, you know? but yeah. you sort of can do that. But yeah. I can almost guarantee you that what they're doing in that situation is like one one session has channels one to twenty four, right. and the other session has channels twenty five to fifty two. Oh, whatever. right, okay. So you don't actually touch each other's yeah. strips, but but the center section that you share, so you'd have to recall that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. What are your thoughts on these services like Lander and, um, you know, those sort of instant mixing services where you send your track in and it, you know, enter a couple of things and it sends you back a, um, a mix done from an algorithm? Oh, look, I <laughs> – Whatever. I mean, if it sounds good, it sounds good. But Fair if enough. it doesn't, like, use someone that has ears. Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. Know. I mean, fuck, I don't know. Was, it's, no. And also it just sounds totally gross to me. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, gotcha. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I When I was doing a little bit of home mixing and stuff, um, I um, got onto this um, thing called dueling mixers. Have you ever heard of that? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Nah. Right. So what it is, it's this couple of home mixer guys. Um, they both have these YouTube channels um, oh, yeah. where they do sort of home mixing stuff and they've created this thing called Dueling Mixers. And what it is is you um, join this community of, you know, fellow home mixers. Mm, and yeah. at the start of every month you get sent the stems for, for a song. Oh, yeah. Right. And – um. The two guys that run it, they do their own mix of it and so you kind of get that first and then you mix the song yourself and then you, um, if you're keen, you, you you post it up to the to the board for people to kind of listen and analyse. I would never, You'd never be able it. to do that. Yeah, right. Yeah, why is that? I would never be able to do that because yeah. I just, I, I don't need someone telling me all the shit I'm doing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like I, I just think, oh, I don't know that. See, that is giving me anxiety just thinking about <laughs> doing that. It's like, I think because I, um, look, I don't know. I, I, I don't really want to say this because I'm not super into the whole like anything being about gender, but 
Yep. Uh, that's t- super bro culture to me. And I just think okay. I would walk in and people would just hate me being there. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. And I don't, yeah, I don't know. I just find it very, not, it's not my, it's not my world. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. And, and also, like I have to say, um, recording and mixing is my job. It's what I do all the time. And so if I have time off, I don't want to spend it doing a mix for fun. Like that might sound okay. no, I, I bad. No. That might sound bad, but I just, I really just want to like hang out with my family and, gotcha. you know, maybe listen to music for fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Fair answer. Yeah. I just, I, I guess I, I asked that because maybe sort of coming up when you're kind of, um, learning the stuff, maybe that was something you you may have gotten into. Oh, no, yeah, I okay. didn't. And you know you know what and why? Because when I was learning how to mix, like I'm not that old, but it, it's changed so quickly that when I was learning how to mix, um, we didn't all have Pro Tools in our bedroom. Okay. At all, at all. Like okay. it was um, I learned to mix – uh, under someone like the super traditional way so you'd go into a studio and sit there for 25 hours watching the back of someone's head while they mixed that's gotcha. how I learned how to mix gotcha um and so I guess it's the same thing it's the same concept but I just did it like one-on-one mm-hmm. as opposed to in a community where people would <laughs> judge me <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. It, it, it it does get pretty harsh in there but like it also gets um like, I mean, that stuff doesn't bother me because I can, yeah, you know. But yeah. if someone did criticize, I'd ask them why, and I'd get them to try and prove to me why it was wrong, and then get me to show them their th- show me their thing. But they never would, you know. So it's kind of a, I guess, yeah, mm. I guess it is a bit of a place for trolls. Hey, I never really thought of it like that because I, I don't tend to yeah. think about that too much. Yeah, I don't, I don't like to put myself out there in like a vulnerable situation because I'm really bad with confrontation. Okay. You know, and I'd probably just like cry. (laughs) 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 I'm actually making myself sound really pathetic right now. No, not um, at all. Not at all. It's just not my way um, way of doing it. At all. I'd rather yeah. hang out with someone and, like, we could sit there, like, me and you in a room, like, like oh, is that how you do that? That's really cool. Yeah, I, yeah, this is awesome. how I do it. But, like, on the internet, no. no Fair things. enough. Not yeah. unless I can storm out. I don't want to be do it. <laughs> no, good answer. Good answer. Now, um, yeah. you know, like a say a vocalist will practice working on their vocal pitch and a guitar will, guitarist will practice scales and that kind of thing. With, yeah. Yeah, with um, – um, mixing and and sound and stuff. Do you um, need to train your ears to to different frequencies if you're kind of away from? Does that does that question make sense? Um, like oral training. Yeah, kind of yeah. Well, I mean, just um, like because if you're you know you're you're sitting at the desk and you're listening to a mix or something. Yeah. Can you hear? Can you hear two K or can you hear? Um, no, I, well, I, I can, but I don't know what it's called. So, but I know, but I know, I know where it is on the scale. So I'm pretty quick at just grabbing it. Like I can, if I've got, if I've got like a line with dots on it, I know where to grab. Or if I've got like a, one of those EQs with lots of, um, you know what they, I can't remember what they're called right now, but, um, those EQs with loads of little 
um, little notches or whatever things on. Yeah, yeah, then I yeah. I know I know where it is, but I, I'm not right. great at knowing what it's called. I mean, I seem to. I remember at uni learning twenty to twenty k, and I'm like. Right. Some somewhere between those two frequencies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there's some there's some people that can just call it, you know. Um, yeah, and I do, and again, it's actually similar to what you were just saying about um, about um, like t- dueling mixes. Like I, right. I, I just, I don't know. Like I feel like they're sitting there, like training themselves how to <laughs> like what frequency it is, and I'm just like. It's there, like if this is my scale, it's there, you know, or it's there. Like I'm very, I right. see, I see mixes. I don't necessarily, um, I can't put I, it I, into words. I understand what and you're I'm, saying. Yeah. And I'm actually, I think that's just how my brain is because I'm not, um, even like with song, with song names, I will know as soon as I hear the first note of a song come on, what song it is. I could yep. sing every, um, Thank you. I could sing every single lyric, but I don't know the name of the song. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's I have a I have a weird brain. No, that's cool. That's yeah. cool. All right. Well, let's talk about um some of the stuff you do outside your work and things like um um mentoring and um oh, yeah. that kind yep. of stuff. So and when did you start getting into that? And tell us a little bit about some of the um, the organisations that you do that stuff for. And yeah, so I mentor for. I guess I got into it because people just started asking me to. Um, right. And I think the reason why I did so much of it was because a lot of the organisations like Girls Rock and um, like Desert Divas and Sister Sounds and stuff like that, um, I'm a girl and these were girls, um, they were girls um, like programs. So working with youth who, you know, I did, I've done some stuff like in youth justice and in high school, so going into girls' schools and teaching production and stuff like that right. um, through through APRA AMCOS. Because um, you're an, because you're, an amb- a, you're an ambassador for, yeah, for APRA AMCOS. I'm yeah. an ambassador, so yeah. I just kind of go around and teach people about that. But so a lot of the mentoring I've done, I think a lot of it was um, me being involved from the start was because there's so few women that I got asked a lot. Fortunately now... Um, a lot of those people that I mentored are now have been doing it for a little while and now they're mentoring too. So it kind of, it's growing, you know, um, which is so good. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I first time I heard of you is I watched the Her Sound, Her Story movie. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah that was that, great. That was really cool. Um, so. Um, tell us a little bit about how that came about and how you approached and, and a little bit about it. Yeah. I'll, I'll, put, I'll definitely put some links in the show notes to that kind of stuff. And Yeah. Uh, so I so you got to understand that documentary, Her Sound, Her Story, went off. Like it just became yep. huge. Yep. And I at the time, like when they asked me to do it, we had no idea that it was going to be that big at all. So I just got like an email and it was like, hey, my name's... Claudia, I'm doing this documentary about like women in music and, yep. you know, 
you're a woman in music. <laughs> Can we come and interview you? And I was like, I was like, yeah, sure. You know, um, I said, I'll be at the studio on this day. If you want to come down before, it'll be a cool backdrop <laughs> kind yeah. of thing. Yep. And they come down, two gorgeous girls, Michelle and Claudia, and they come in and they're just interviewing me. And I was just like, yeah, you know, this and that and breastfeeding and babies and being yeah. in the studio and all this stuff. And then I found out like all these other huge artists were doing this show. So, um, you know, just everyone, Tina Arena bearing her soul and her yeah. anger and um just so many people and then um they cut it together and invited us all to a preview and I don't think anyone in the house was not crying it was just it felt like a movement and ever since then I have been in touch with so many of the artists and um I think we have a really similar experience really um so it was just incredible it's been so it's been a movement really yeah that's you know and it and it came it came about at the right time i mean they obviously didn't plan it but it came out at the same time of the me too movement so oh, um right. okay amazing <laughs> yeah yeah it's really cool um yeah people go yeah. check that out it's a really 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 good eye opening movie and something something i think everybody should watch yeah. for sure especially anyone working in australian music i mean you'll yep really see how some people, Kylie Minogue, you know, um, Lindy Morrison, all the people who were doing it back then were pitted against each other instead of um, encouraged to be supportive of each other. Yeah. Um, and and just the, the culture has changed so much in the last five, ten years, well, five years that it's unrecognisable now. That's really cool. And isn't that awesome? Like yeah. how much cool art are we going to have from that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's excellent. Um, over these last couple of weeks, I've been listening to your um, your Spotify show reel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, cool. what I've, you know, one thing I really dig out of this podcast is I get to hear a lot of new music. Yeah, and, um, cool. And listening to your um your playlist, which I'll link in the show notes of this too, so go and check it out. You know, I yeah, was yeah. I was introduced to you know, um, you know, artists like uh, Ruby Boots and um, <coughs> oh, excuse me, and uh, Go Get Mum. Man, oh yeah, they're cool. They're so cool. I yeah, love that so album. Cool. It was so really yeah. So yeah, and, yeah. and uh, the other one was was Caitlin Keegan, and you've just you guys have just released a new. Song, yeah, that yep. like literally two days ago, a song came out that we that we wrote and together, and I produced and mixed. It's a beautiful song, actually. Um, yeah, it is. she's she, yep. she's amazing. Mm. Yeah. Um. So songwriting. So when did you start mm. songwriting? I mean, you said um, you also said you you weren't much of an instrument player. So no, I'm I'm not. Um. And it's funny because, you know, I used to songwrite when I was in high school. I feel like everyone song wrote when they were in high school. <laughs> but um, uh, and then I just I just got busy and I just never really did it very much. And then and then in the last 
I don't know, a few years. In fact, when I was doing the songmaker stuff for APRA, um, so I would travel around a lot with a songwriter and so we would go in as a team, songwriter, producer, and and we were in hotels. So I was like on tour essentially for like right. three months of the year for four years and um, I was in the hotel a lot, you know, with with recording gear and with instruments. Yep. And so we generally we would write songs and, um, so I got really inspired then again, and then I just, I, and I've always over the years contributed because when you're in the studio producing, you do contribute to songwriting. So it's always been something I've done. Um, but I guess I've made more of an effort to do it lately and, um, I've been really enjoying it. And especially during this lockdown, like I've had time that I haven't had in years to just sit down in my room and write and I feel like a teenager again like yeah, you know cool. how exciting is that that's really cool mm. just going back to the producer thing um mm. when when did you decide or how did it come about um to go from being the audio engineer mm. to, the, to the producer <laughs> great question <laughs> when you are producing are you mm. engineering? Are you engineering as well? Yeah, in Australia, there really isn't the budget to have those okay. two people, um, which is a shame. We did have that when I was working in London, but not sure. here. So I'm always doing both, but it took me forever to call myself a producer. It took me forever, and I find it so laughable now because people graduate from like a one-year college course in music production and call themselves a producer now and like <laughs> okay, so it literally took me like I went to uni for three years and I was an yeah. assistant for 10 years and then I was yeah. like and then I was engineering and then I was like all right you know what I feel like I've produced a lot of records <laughs> and yep. so that's when and that's when I started in fact I think I only started calling myself a producer when I got a manager and she started writing it down <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it shows up on the card <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> or in the email signature yeah. yeah 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 so what's what define the role of a producer in I was going to say 2020 but that's 2020 post uh, pre-covid What's define the role of a producer these days? Yeah. Well, look, I mean, it's so, there's so many different types of producers now. Like you can have a producer who makes beats, you know, and that's a producer, but it's absolutely so different to what I do. I'm yeah, a producer yeah. in like in like the traditional sense. So yep. um I um I I oversee and manage the creative goals of a song or an album yep. or whatever and I yep. um I budget it and I time manage it and then I use all of my like creative experience to finish and deliver a project on time and on budget <laughs> right so it's yeah. like it's it's like the classic producer but you're actually doing doing the work as well you're doing the mixing in the and yeah yeah, it's really similar yeah. to the director of a film. Right. That's the role is very similar to that um, for a project. But then also like so the way I def like differentiate between producer and engineer is engineer is in charge of all the technical stuff and the producer is yep. in charge of all the creative stuff. Right. Yeah, and of course there's blurred lines, but that's that's for me essentially the difference. Right. And then a mixer is both creative and technical. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> gotcha. What do you enjoy the most, the engineering or the producing? Both. I enjoy them both, both cool. for different reasons. I love yeah. engineering. Absolutely love engineering. That's what I always thought I wanted to be an okay. engineer for, forever. Yeah. And then I ended up doing a bunch of production. I was like, well, I'm just the producer engineer, you know. Right. So and now I really enjoy the production because you get to be like super creative and kind of like impose your creative ideas on projects. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, that's cool. Okay. So when this COVID thing um dies down and and well just before I say it dies down, do you kind of do you have some plans in the next sort of few months to start, you know, restarting some projects? Um, I hope so. Um yeah. I really hope so. Like um, I know we t- I know we talked about that right at the start, but I'm just I'm kind of um what I'm leading up yeah. to here is what's I mean I've got I've got a couple of albums lined up to go in and record and everyone's ready and we're just waiting until Okay. Not until we're allowed, but until everyone feels like good about it. Like you said, feel comfortable and yeah. 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 So that's happening. But then at the moment I'm doing a lot of like, you know, like for example, this week I'm one of the judges for the Wham Song of the Year. So I'm just going through a bunch of songs and oh, cool. <laughs> judging them, which is terrible, but, you know, just sort of coming up with some standout songs. Right. So how do you, what's your judging criteria then? Don't know. You're shaking Dep- your head. It depends. <laughs> yeah. It depends. I mean, it's yep. there's a few main things that you base it on like you know like melody lyrics structure stuff like that right. performance i guess um yeah it's really hard to judge music isn't it yeah it sure is <laughs> um i was going to ask you before i'll ask you now on on a session mm. have you had something go terribly wrong um i i actually i asked i asked that because i was watching um the recording studio the other yeah, day. That, yeah, yeah, that was and set that, up. And, yeah, I, th- I thought it, I thought it might be because you're you're very calm and relaxed and look. It wasn't <laughs> a setup, but what happened was I they got like two seconds in, and I went, "Hey guys, sorry, yeah. I've lost the mic." Yeah, and um, they they edited it. I know exactly what you're talking about. You're talking about the church family. Yeah, when, when, all, the, when the, yeah. The, 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 yeah. the vintage Neumann mic. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. so that it sort of didn't really happen like that. And is I remember that, when they showed it on air and my dad rang me and he's like, that didn't happen, did it? And I was like, <laughs> nah. And he goes, I knew that you wouldn't let that happen. Yeah, because that, that kind of preempted my question um, mm, after yeah. seeing that. And, yeah. and I did, you know, I did think when I was watching that, you were very like, ah. Whatever. Sorry, like, we just lost the magi- best take. That, you, know, that, you know that magic you had in the room. Sorry, yeah. we didn't. We didn't get it. So no, yeah. So that kind of preempted that question. Was you know, yeah. have you had like um, something in in real life happen mm. like that? Um, yes, I yeah. I have. Um, there's you know, of course, there's been a few, but one session that I was super duper nervous on was the Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds one because I just right. I'm such a huge fan and they're just quite intimidating. Well you think they're going to be intimidating, but actually they're amazingly lovely and all that kind of stuff. But um we were so me and Nick Lorne were sitting in the control room and the band were doing one of those sessions where they were writing as they were recording. Mm. So they were like just hit record and we're just gonna jam on this thing for 
however long it takes. Yep. So that Nick Lorne is telling me all of his amazing rock and roll stories, you know, and we're sitting there and then I'm looking at the computer and as I'm looking at it, it stops recording. And I immediately hit record again. So we miss like half a second. <sighs> but we miss half a second of when it came in the bad seat song. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so and Nick Lorne was like, what? just happened and I was like it stopped recording it stopped recording and he's like thank god you were here and I was like oh my god oh my god (laughs) you know just panicking but because it was such a um it was such like a you know that out that album push the sky away is very like everything's very like um kind of like a mantra Mm. so he was able to like just chop paste you know over the bit that (laughs) Isn't there anymore? Yeah, yeah. So, so when it stopped, was it one of those mm. cases we were just talking about before about the length mm. of the recording? Was it that literally? So, what? someone who had been in on this uh, at the studio before ours um, had set a preference in Pro Tools to stop recording after like forty minutes or something, and no one ever changes that preference. Why would you? Yeah, it's right. such a shit thing to do. <laughs> but um, <laughs> they had. Out, have you found out who it was? <laughs> nah, man. No one would own up to that. Um, so, um, you know, and that's so, so interesting because the first thing I ever got taught at uni and I've never forgotten it and I learned it on my first day was never assume, yeah. never, ever assume that that box hasn't been ticked, you know? So, you know, you learn. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, now I contacted you today and I, I've, I've asked you to choose a song, right? So the reason I've done that is I've got a new segment on the show mm. where you choose one song and you said you you said you're going to struggle choosing one. It's insane. Uh, yeah, but you had to and that's the rules, so you did yeah. it. So well done. Um, I just I was like I just can't overthink this. I mean, I have yeah, a list yeah. on my phone of perfect songs, right? Oh, right. Okay. That like when I hear a song, I'll be like yeah, that's going on the list and I didn't choose one of those songs. I chose okay. This song. Right. Yeah. So um, I'm just going to cue it up mm-hmm. um, and I'm going to start playing it. You just let me know if you can hear this. Can you hear I can it? Hear okay, it. cool. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, Anna, can you explain, tell us what the song is and and um, explain why this is the song and what it yeah. means Yeah. Look, you said choose a song that um, – greatly influenced you or um, means the most to you. And I, that's too hard. So I just chose a song that influenced my work a lot. Yep. Yeah. Um, And it's called The Dark Is Rising by a band called Mercury Rev. There it is. (laughs) So I chose it because... I think I had a moment of clarity on a bus, a night bus in London once, um, to this song. So I had like my first iPod, which I got for my 21st, and um, this song came on, and it is so incredibly well produced and recorded that it it would bring a grown man to tears. Right, I reckon. Never dreamed I'd lose you In my dreams I'm always strong 
a beautiful voice, eh? Hey? He's amazing. He's such an incredible showman. And all my bridges burned. I always dreamed of big crowds, plumes of smoke and high. So do you use this as a, like, do, do you have, do you have, you were just talking before about, um, um, the list of songs that you've got. Do you mm. do you have like um, a list of reference tracks when you're going in and doing a mix or something? Yeah. Or, so the or, so the song I I do I have an album that I put on and I've always okay. put this album on and it's um, Graceland by Paul Simon and I was actually right. going to choose one of those songs for this exercise but I just thought no because that's the whole album I need the whole album to make that oh, point right. that okay. that okay. is just one song that will do it right. for me. Very yeah. Cool. So that is The Dark is Rising by mm. um, and the album is All is Dream. By yeah, Mer- so Mer- Mer- Mercury, Mercury Rev. Mercury Rev. Yeah, yeah, it's um produced by Dave Fridman and um, that string arrangement is actually by um, Tony Visconti. Oh right, okay. Yeah, you right. know, Bowie's longtime yep. collaborator producer. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So that song I've added to the Gig Life podcast. Yes. I did not produce it. (laughs) (laughs) I wish. Um, Yeah. yeah. All good. Um, Anna Levity, thanks so much for spending this uh, Sunday evening with me tonight and and talking about your your career and and your life and stuff. And um, I wish you all the best. Thank you. And, um, yeah, hopefully we can meet sometime when you're in Sydney or if I'm in Melbourne. I've never actually been to Melbourne, ever. Get out of town. <laughs> You've got to come to Melbourne, man. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. it's one of the greatest music cities in the world. Yeah, these last um, six weeks I've um, spoken to a lot of Melbourne people on the podcast mm. and, and I had that conscious decision to do that and, um, yeah, I do need to. When they open the borders. <laughs> For sure. I mean, yeah. you know, when I get back in the studio and when they open the borders, you should come down and check out some of the great studios down here. That would be great. Yeah. I'd enjoy that. Cool. All right, Anna, take it easy. And Thanks for um, having me. Sweet as. Talk to you soon. All yeah. right. Bye. All right. Catch ya. <laughs> See ya.
helping you through the divorce. 